to Two Pills Podcast. Today, I am so excited to have Dr. Heidi Yuckel with us. She has been a professor at her alma mater since 2009, but just because she's a professor does not mean that she's old and boring. She actually has the coolest teaching job ever. She practices in a licensed pharmacy that doesn't serve real patients. She takes 15 student groups through two-hour simulations on a weekly basis. And her expertise in this fake pharmacy include MTM, dispensing, consultation, community pharmacy practice, and communication. She loves integrating pop culture into her teaching techniques, which I'm super excited to talk about. Hopefully we talk about her escape rooms, amazing race, minute to win it, etc. As far as her tips for faculty, she says that you really want to make sure that you show students that you're human. She likes to open lectures with a picture of her children being ridiculous, like crying over the same toy or playing a trick or having her clothes covered in baby food. And her current research is in escape rooms and education. That is covers a lot of different types of education, including nursing, pharmacy, and interprofessional healthcare, as well as engaging pharmacists in the opioid epidemic. Um, she received a $120,000 grant from North Dakota Human Services, and she's taking a project statewide now. So welcome, Dr. Yukel. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here today. Awesome. Well, I know we talked a little bit about your bio, but would you be able to tell us a little bit about yourself and your teaching style? Yeah, so um, I always knew that I wanted to be a teacher, and, you know, exploring that avenue of healthcare education was a little bit rocky for me, just because it's it's hard to imagine, you know, yourself standing in front of a lecture podium for hours, but um, this teaching experience really came about and was the perfect fit for me. Uh, my my expertise is in community pharmacy practice, things like communication, talking with our patients in a way that's meaningful to them, in a way that they will remember, um, and staying really as active as we can in our profession by providing point of care services and immunization and services beyond that dispensing role. So my teaching is all focused around kind of motivating students to number one, connect with their patients, and number two, take that next step to be a pharmacist that makes a change. That is great. So when did you know that you wanted to be a teacher? That's a great question. So actually, back when I was, you know, 18 years old, like many of us were when we were starting our college careers, it's very hard to know what type of you know, professional you want to be, whether it's in the healthcare field or economics or business and marketing. And we all have probably the skills necessary to do any of those things. But through lots of job shadowing, I found that pharmacy was really intriguing to me. And then teaching was also extremely intriguing. So kind of marrying the two into one was just a perfect fit for me. That is great. So um, like we said in your bio, you have a lot of creative ideas and I think they're super exciting escape rooms and different um, types of competitive forms of active learning. Can you talk a little about a little bit about uh, a teaching strategy that was effective in the classroom and maybe surprisingly effective? And then can you also talk about a time when something really did not go as well in the classroom or the experiential setting? Sure. So I'm going to start with the 
the um, something that didn't go quite as well. Perfect. And one of those examples is I created an activity in which we were working in small groups of students. So it was myself acting as a patient, and 15 students were collecting information from me to see what my complaint was in order to recommend self-care treatment. And this was delayed quite a bit of time from when the students received their lectures on these topics. Mm -hmm. So for example, we were sitting down and the students would ask me, how are you feeling today? And I'd say, you know what, I'm really tired today. And then getting into what other questions do they need to ask me? And they would gather all this information and then they would all individually make a recommendation to me And then they would come up with a group recommendation for me. So in my mind, this made wonderful sense. So individualized (laughs) education as well as a group consensus, maybe a little bit of justification, a little bit of debate as to why one recommendation was better than the other. But it actually turned out that nobody was prepared to make those types of recommendations. And so they were all over the board. Oh, so they were, it was so delayed from their didactic lecture yeah. and I didn't give them any review content that they actually floundered and couldn't come up with an individual recommendation, much less a group recommendation. Absolutely. So were you able to repeat that another time or make changes related to that to make it effective? I have, yes. Actually, that'll be what we are planning this year oh, great. is to make the changes. And so one of the things that I've learned throughout my years of teaching is uh, a technique that I, I learned from one of my colleagues called Read Me. So I create a document it's just in Word, and it's titled Read Me with all capital letters. And it's, what do I need to change next time to make this better? Mm, yeah. So I just type random you know, thoughts on this Word document, quick type up, right after the activity, and then before I go to offer the activity again the following year, I go back to my README, and I determine, okay, what what do I need to change to make this better this time around? That's great, and I like that because it's not only, you know, I think a lot of times we would change maybe the materials that we give to students or something like that, but in the setting that you're talking about, these are notes for yourself, too, um, so I think that's great. That's a great Absolutely. strategy. Good quality assurance. Yeah, exactly. And then what's something that has gone well? One thing that went well for me that I actually piloted two years ago was related to communication. So oftentimes pharmacy students will come into my mock pharmacy and they'll counsel each other on medications and their partner will say, oh yeah, that sounded great. Well, pharmacy students are so used to listening to each other talk about (laughs) higher order things like angina and, you know... The, the crazy weird words that we use and we all understand. Right. Our patients aren't necessarily ready for that. So one thing that um, I implemented was a self and a peer assessment. Ooh. So what students do is they actually use one of their own electronic devices, their phone or their iPad. They record themselves counseling. They go home. They pull up the rubric that I use and then they assess themselves counseling. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And then also I take all of that video footage and I assign it to another student. Oh, so it's random and it's anonymous, but they also have to evaluate it and provide detailed feedback. Oh, that is great. Yeah. None of it's worth a grade. So it's all just formative feedback, but it's actually been something that I've seen that has really helped to advance our students comfort and uh, ability to counsel. 
I think that's great. And I, I love peer evaluations. I think that in general in pharmacy education, in my opinion, we can do more with peer evaluations than what we do. Absolutely. Um, I am also a huge fan of peer evaluations. I think they can learn a lot from us, but our their peers have so much experience with um, internships and IPPEs and just their own personal lives that it's really valuable. I completely agree. And so I think when you can have an effective peer evaluation, and like in your case, the fact that it's being anonymous is even better. Um, So yeah, I think that's really exciting. And two, I think just touching on your point of patient counseling in particular, I know when I have students on rotations, it's talking to them about things that we throw out all the time. Just like one of the most common ones I hear is GI, you know, and they'll be like, oh yeah, GI upset. And you're like, the patient walks away being like, GI bill? Like, what are you talking about? You know, and like, I think, yeah. Also, um, PRN. They use oh that yeah. All the time. Oh our, yeah. Our patients don't know what PRN means. <laughs> I so. know. Exactly. Absolutely. So, with all of your different hats, and, and you know, I know you're involved with opioids and with um, simulation and lots of things. What would you say is your favorite part of your job? Oh, that's a really great question. Um, my absolute favorite part of my career is probably mentoring students. So although in pharmacy education, it's not something that we're really taught how to do, it's not something that there's really a curriculum for us to learn how to do that, but I always tell my students, if I could do something in my next life, it would be a guidance counselor in high school. Oh, that's just great. Love, yeah, I love being able to see them choose their path in their life and remind them that whatever they choose right after graduation doesn't have to be their forever choice. Yeah, absolutely. I I feel like that's, you know, something that we see a lot with students putting pressure on themselves. Um, You know, in pharmacy, it's residency versus not residency. A lot of times in other professions, it's what residency they choose and that that's going to determine the rest of their life, you know? It's like, no, that'll determine your job for the month after you graduate and then you can decide whatever you want. Yeah. One, one also thing, other thing that I really like is, which I would not have said 10 years ago, but is writing up manuscripts of mm-hmm. the research that I've done. So one of the hindrances in academia to get anyone interested in higher education is usually that requirement for research. So in our institution, we have to do 10% research, which mm-hmm. is about one publication per year, yeah. which is actually quite daunting when you think about it, because to do an IRB and get an idea and actually collect that data and then write it up usually takes, you know, eight to 12 months. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to have the next thing on the burner. And um, I've kind of gotten to the point where those first few, they were hard and collaboration was so important. And now after having kind of ridden that bike for a while, it feels so much more natural and it's really fun to share what you're doing. And then to have those contacts from not only across the nation, but across the world that are like, hey, I'm a, I'm a pharmacy faculty member in Toronto. You know, this would be really cool to try in Canada, but our health system is different. What do you think about this? It's, it's really exciting. I completely agree with you. And I felt the same way. I came out of a really, I was lucky enough to come out of a very research heavy residency program. And so they were, it was a lot of manuscripts and a lot of focus on publishing. Um, and wow. so that was really awesome because then when I became faculty, I had those, I'd been mentored in that way. Um, but you're right. I think that switch to really enjoying it um, has certainly happened for me as well. And, and I love it. I love collaborating and writing up different parts of a manuscript and getting it accepted or rejected and then moving on to the next one, uh, which is one that I'm working on right now. 
<laughs> yeah. I don't always agree with some of those. Oh, no. But you know, you got to take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, you still got to put thank you for your feedback in your point by point. Um, <laughs> exactly. So you have all these creative ideas, which is so exciting. Um, where do you get your best ideas? Oh, from my colleagues. Nice. So oftentimes we are really interested in making education align with pop culture. So we've done the minute to win it when that was really popular and the amazing race when that was popular and now the escape rooms. And um, part of the difficulty in in my mind is really engaging students. So they are very comfortable with PowerPoint boring lectures, but they are not so comfortable (laughs) in a pharmacy setting where they're performing in front of their peers and their faculty. Mm -hmm. So kind of in, so they're in this pharmacy with me for two hours a week where I'm watching their every move, their peers are evaluating (laughs) them, they're evaluating themselves. So oftentimes they just get a little bit anxious. So I felt like if I can engage them in the learning where they feel like it's fun and it's contemporary that that kind of breaks down some of those barriers and also I've also been able to show that when they're engaged in something like this they actually remember it so for example if I go up to a student that did my diabetes escape room three years ago and say what's the appropriate um, way to mix insulins they can absolutely recall it because they can tie it to, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I remember we did that when we were playing that escape room. We did this first and then the second rather than learning it from a slide. So I think the majority of my ideas come from either, you know, I did an escape room and I, I thought, wow, this would be really cool for our students to do in an educational setting or sitting down with my colleagues and saying, all right. We're getting a little stale here. What can we do to kind of make things more engaging? And those are really where the ideas come from. I'm lucky to have a very creative uh, team and also a team that's willing to try new things too. Absolutely. So I think escape rooms are really fun. Just picking on that one of the ones that you mentioned. Um, If someone feels like it is daunting to create an escape room. So just my background is I'm a big believer in game-based learning. I think there's so many benefits. Um, and to, like, to your point, just I didn't even think about it, but that association point where they can latch on that piece of content to the game itself is, is really great. Um, Absolutely. And I think one of the things that I talk to people about is that, you know, it doesn't require your game to be created from a video game's with the video games department, you know, or you don't need to get a million dollars in grant funding in order to create a game. It can really be, you know, pretty simple and still be really effective. Um, So I don't know if you came across that with your escape room, but I guess I was just wondering if, if someone is maybe daunted by the idea of doing an escape room, but is still interested, do you have any advice as far as implementation? Oh, great. Great question. So I, to be honest, Educational gaming is one of my passions. It's something, like you said, it's just something that really fits with this generation of students. And don't get me wrong, you can do educational gaming very horribly. <laughs> yeah, So there's absolutely. lots of resources in the, in the literature about what kind of things to think about and how to plan that well. But I have truly, I have no interest in board games mm-hmm. or in video games. Mm -hmm. So I think we all tend to design things off of our interests. So mine are mostly immersion games. Yeah. So you're in the amazing race or you're actually participating in minute to win it. You're locked in a room. So, um, 
it, it's usually kind of drawing up a, a map of the objectives that you want your students to learn. So that's really where I start. Mm-hmm. And then trying to, trying to figure out, okay, how can we work in different types of puzzles to make these educational outcomes come to life. So for example, we wanted our students to be able to match the mechanism of action of oral anti-diabetic medications with the classification. So how can we do that? And so we searched, Googled different puzzle formats and we came up with um, a rebus puzzle or a cipher code and we were able to build the puzzles off of that and so one of the things I would highly suggest is going into the literature there's tons on educational gaming not necessarily in health education but beyond yeah and reaching out to someone that's maybe designed something similar and saying hey what did you learn from this can you give me an example of how you created one puzzle because that really gets the mind going as to what what that kind of looks like and what needs to be done. Um, Ask the questions about how many manpower hours did it take to create this? How much time does it take to set it up every year? Um, Those are some some really good questions to ask. And then cost. Like we were able to design our escape room for less than a hundred bucks, which is pretty amazing. That's fantastic, yeah. And one of my colleagues that I just presented with, he did a kind of an online Um, I want to say more of like a scavenger hunt, but it was considered an escape room because you had to use electronic locks to get from one to the next step. And that cost him nothing. Was that, um, was that the Google Forms one? It was. Yes. yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I think is so creative and I just want to look into it for myself. You know, I'm like, I could create Google Forms. Like that sounds pretty easy. And the nice thing about that is you could even do something like that to engage students in reviewing your syllabus. Totally. Yeah. It's so yeah. versatile. Absolutely. Awesome. No, and I, I really, and yeah, go ahead. I wanted to say one more thing about yeah. educational gaming is my biggest tip is trial it. So yeah. I invite in APPE <laughs> students and they try it and then I make my fixes and then I invite another faculty and they play it and then I make my fixes. So there's lots of options, but that is the best way to do it. And you hit on two things that I absolutely agree with when it comes to gaming is number one start with your objectives it's not starting with the entertainment you know it's really starting with what are you trying to have students come away with this and then the second thing is a pilot I think that it's so important and I was lucky enough with the games I most recently implemented to have a group of very willing and excited medical residents so even Uh-oh, though they were different learners they still I mean still diabetic ketoacidosis is DKA across no matter where you are. exactly so um yeah I couldn't agree more you learn so much from a pilot um with all your materials and just how they interact with it so that's great um well one question for you is if you were advising a brand new faculty member on their first day um what insight about being in this career do you wish you had on your first day that's an awesome question. Um, I actually started teaching when I was 23. So I was one year post-graduation, and I was younger than a lot of my students. And so I came in with this mindset of I have to be professional, and I have to set the tone, and I have to hold them to high expectations. And um, the pharmacy students, after a couple of years, I recognized, perceived that as me being rigid and not empathetic and not understanding so although I looked back at my education very first question I asked is what kind of teacher do I want to be and in order to answer that I said well who in my educational 
career did I learn best from? That representative or that person that I identified, she was extremely rigid and had very high expectations, and I thrived on that, but not all students do. So I, the best advice that I can give to somebody kind of just starting out is don't forget to show the students that you are human. Yeah, that's great. So, I mean, it's, it's very daunting to go into your first lecture and think, gosh, what kind of questions are they going to ask me? Mm-hmm. I have no hesitation to say, that is an awesome question, and I really don't know, but I know where to find it. Right. Or I'll say, you know what, that's a great question. I don't know the answer, but where could we find that answer together? So just showing them, you know, a little bit of what you do outside of the classroom. Not necessarily like I go on a hike every Saturday. I don't necessarily tell them all about my hobbies or, you know, things like that. But I need to pick one or two things that are important to me. Like, you know, here's a picture of what my kids look like on our Christmas card. But then here's a picture of what my house really looks like with my kids home. And it's an absolute disaster with Cheerios all over the place. And the windows have markers drawn all over them. And so they can start to connect with me. And I think that actually, number one, gives them a view of, wow, this person is human and takes an interest in my education. And number two, shows them that I'm not perfect and I don't expect them to be either. I think that's really great advice. And I think you're right. When you're young and you're starting, or I mean, probably whatever age, but I was also pretty young when I started. And that feeling of like, do they take me seriously? You know, do they, um, just all those thoughts that you have. And and like you said, I think the scariest part always being the questions that they're going to ask. But I love your advice about just being human. And I think, I think too, it's important to be human if you take students on rotations. Um, Not necessarily telling them about, like you said, like telling them every weekend what your plans are, but just, you know, showing that you do have a life, you know? Um, so I think that's really great. Do you have any, um, books or websites, resources that have been helpful to you along the way? I think one of the greatest resources that I use is my colleagues. Mm -hmm. So whether that's my colleagues down the hall or connecting with a special interest group of people that teach similar content or gathering business cards when I'm at an annual meeting of people that have similar interests to me, I have no hesitation, you know, saying, hey, I'm thinking about trying this. What do you think? Or I ran into this issue and I don't know how to handle it. Has anyone else encountered something similar? So I think I probably learn best from other people, whereas a majority of our students and likely most of our colleagues learn really well from other resources. Um, my learning style is more of a is more of a community based yeah. resource of you know how can I reach out to these people and they have more to tell me probably than what they could ever write in a book. So that's kind of how I approach getting additional guidance. And I think that, I think you made a great point because I'm also kind of a connector type mindset. And so I think too, it it helps you in the moment with what you're working on, but it also helps build that connection. And, you know, it sounds like you're willing to go outside of your department doors and of the building doors, you know, to around the country. And so I think um, that's one of the things I really want with this podcast too, is that I think you can get inspiration from conferences and from people, like you said, that are presenting great ideas like what you have, but you don't have, you can get it week to week, you know? So that's kind of one of the ideas behind this podcast. Well, my, my last question for you is what is your overall prescription for success and happiness in this job and in general? I think my prescription for happiness in this job 
and in any pharmacy education career is, or any pharmacy career really, is work-life balance. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of, the majority of our workforce is female, and I think we have huge responsibilities, whether that be at home or in leadership organizations, on campus, in the academies. So I think work-life balance is probably my best prescription. Um, one thing that I really strive to do is, and I tell my students this too, is when I'm in the office, I am all theirs. Mm-hmm. Every waking minute of everything I do yeah. while I am on campus is all for them. And likewise, I tell them when I'm at home, I'm home. Mm -hmm. That means that I am completely devoted to my husband and my children and my hobbies and uh, my church and anything else that I choose to make of value in my life. So they can't expect from me to respond to their emails after 5 p.m., nor do I expect them to respond to me after that time. Mm -hmm. So I think that work-life balance is definitely the prescription for happiness in any career. And it's easier to do in some than others, but finding a balance and how to turn that off, I need to be able to turn off the thoughts of what are my kids doing in school and are they being taken well care of? I can't be thinking about that when I'm in the classroom. And likewise, I can't think about are my students, am I meeting the needs of their every waking call after 10 p.m. when I'm trying to tuck my kids into bed. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. That is great. Well, thank you so much.